0: If you look for the good, you'll find it. If you look for the bad, you'll find it. You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with your host,
1: George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best, both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. We are here today with my very good friend, Lindsay Zilly. Lindsay is an entrepreneur, an education coach, a speaker, and an overall amazing person. How are you?
0: I'm doing so well. It was so nice to hear from you and connect in this way. I'm just happy to be here.
1: I love that you excel in three major areas of your life. Number one, you prioritize your family. Number two, you're a kick-ass entrepreneur like myself. And three, you are passionate about mental health and setting boundaries to promote balance in the chaos. Your words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Before we get into how you do each of these three things at a high level, please introduce yourself to our audience.
0: I'm a lifelong learner like yourself. And for the past 16 years, I've had the privilege of creating meaningful professional learning experiences for both students and teachers all over the world. I help connect teachers with different experts in the field, whether it's through instructional coaching or actually teaching in the classroom. I love working with learners who love to learn. I started my career as a fourth and fifth grade teacher in the South side of Chicago. Um, I'm a Midwest girl. From there, I became an instructional technology coach and I worked with students and teachers from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade. I then transitioned into a role of director of professional learning, for the ISTE affiliate in Illinois. And I'm now working as a senior program strategist for a global organization that's really, the mission is climate education. So for Take Action Global, we work all over the world with virtual exchange, with connecting students and teachers with ways that they can meaningfully impact the world. But above all else, I'm a mom. I'm an ed tech working mom of five. So I've mastered the art of multitasking, I can create content, I can facilitate a meeting, I can brew a pot of coffee, I can lesson plan all at the same time. So I'm really good at juggling. And while I'm not working with teachers and students or with my own children, I love to read. I'm constantly binge reading educational documentaries or just reading for fun. And I really do appreciate a well-organized lesson plan.
1: Lindsay, you and I met on social media and you got into my DMs on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> and invited me to IdeaCon <clears throat> back in 2020. You may not remember.
0: <laughs> oh, of course, I remember.
1: We have worked on several projects together, and both you and Amber Hefner helped promote my work and open many doors for me. Thank you so much. But from your perspective, how has our relationship evolved since then, and where are we today?
0: <laughs> Great question. I, of course, remember. sliding into your DMs. I saw you all over Twitter promoting your book but also the great work you were doing with robotics and I could not help but reach out and since then our relationship has absolutely evolved positively since that first connection on social media. It started with you graciously accepting my invitation to present at our local conference and from there we've collaborated on quite a few projects since. Over time I really had the privilege of seeing your growth and development in this field It's been super fulfilling to witness your progress, but also really inspiring for me as well. You've become an advisor, but more importantly, a really good friend. You've provided guidance and support for me, opportunities to help me succeed. And it's just like we're slingshotting each other in a direction moving forward towards common goals. We work together to promote each other's work and create avenues for our professional success and journeys. Where we are today is a testament to the dedication of your hard work and my hard work as well. And I'm proud of the strides that both of us have made in the world of education. Our relationship has become a strong partnership, but a mutual respect and a shared commitment to success. Together, I think we'll continue to explore opportunities and open doors for both each other and educators everywhere.
1: For everyone listening out there, Lindsay is a very humble person. She has opened up way more doors than anyone I've met, her and Amber. I want to give Amber a shout out. I know you both don't work together anymore, but these are two ladies I believe helped put my work on the map in other parts of the country. They merged with TCEA one year, I think in 2021, Mm -hmm. they had a national conference. So it was IdeaCon in alliance with TCEA out in Texas. And from there, it just got the ball rolling for me and I've been everywhere. I want to thank you. And Amber, this is the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast. On this podcast, we interview people who are excelling in three major areas of their lives so that we can learn from them and experience similar success. Lindsay, tell us about your family.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Home Alone? I sure have. Okay. The beginning scene in Home Alone is my family. If you can picture it, it's complete and utter utter chaos. They're getting ready for a vacation. There's people running around the house everywhere, yelling at each other, throwing clothes into suitcases, going back and forth. That's my family on a regular basis in the morning before school, after school at pickup time because I have five children. They are 12 and under, my youngest is two years old. We are all about embracing the chaos and ensuring that we're enjoying the journey. It could be easily overwhelming, but they're my why in everything I do. Why not take pleasure in those small moments of chaos or calm and just make the best of the situation? That's the the easiest way that I can describe my family is that comparison to home alone
1: in my work with people, I have found that relationships are the most important thing in life. Absolutely. Tell us about the relationship with your husband.
0: I'm incredibly fortunate to have an extraordinary partner in my life. Um, my husband is not just my spouse. He's my biggest supporter and my champion. What sets our relationship apart is his unwavering encouragement and motivation that he provides for me. He constantly pushes me to step outside my comfort zone, which I'm not always in for, but it's also been an instrumental part in my personal and professional growth. Whether it's embarking on new challenges or pursuing speaking engagements that require frequent travel, he's always there offering his full support. And I never have to leave a list of to-dos for when I'm gone. He just knows and covers that. We celebrate each other's achievements and face life's and ups and downs as a team. His role as my biggest champion means that he takes pride in my accomplishments and shares in my joy. I could not be more grateful for his unwavering presence in my life. He's not just my spouse. He's my greatest ally in all my endeavors.
1: I love the way you worded that. I think a lot of people that get into these lifelong relationships that are supposed to be relationships, they don't understand that it's a partnership. And in a partnership, there are two contributing entities that are coming together to create synergy and love everything you said. The way you've described this, it really shows a partnership. And I hope that the audience gleans from that. But partnerships and relationships aren't always easy. What would you tell a person who is struggling to connect with his or her spouse?
0: you go through seasons and there are rock steady seasons. And then there are some that are tumultuous. And I think we need to be able to learn through each of those seasons. I think that you would agree lifelong learning isn't just about academics and education, it's life experience as well. So I think first I would say, start by having open and honest conversations with your spouse, share your feelings, your concerns, your successes, where you're disconnecting, really having those open lines of communication is essential. With that though, you also have to to prioritize active listening. And I think that is often an area where we as adults struggle. We're able to communicate our feelings with one another, no problem. But it's that active listening piece that really allows us to truly feel seen and heard by our partners. Avoid interrupting, really truly make eye contact and just make sure that your significant other is feeling heard. This also can apply to your children as well. Your children need to feel seen and heard too. So making eye contact with them, being the last one to let go when you hug them also really encourages those building blocks for a relationship. And then quality time. I know it can be trigger words, that quality time piece, who has time for any of it, but I do have five kids and I do prioritize that quality time with my partner. Sometimes it's date nights, but it doesn't have to be. It can be spending time at the end of the day, resetting the kitchen, making sure that you're on the same page for the next day, goal setting, really prioritizing that one on one time with your spouse is super important. And they're all connected that active listening, open communication and quality time.
1: I've been guilty of not being an active listener in the past. I'm a lot better at it now. So I really appreciate you saying that Lindsay. You mentioned you have five amazing kids. Please tell us about your relationship or relationships with your kids.
0: My kids are my everything. I went into education specifically to make an impact on the world. And now it's even more specific to impact the lives of my children. And they continue to surprise and inspire me on a daily basis. I joke in any of my professional development sessions, I have five kids, they're my guinea pigs. So I know that this works, but really, It does go back to being a teacher at home as well. Early on in our parenting journey, my husband and I decided that we were going to try out and implement a method called pyramid parenting. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's worked really well for us. The model primarily focuses on helping things go right rather than spending your time focusing on children's misbehavior. To clarify, you're guiding your children in the skills necessary to be successful. So instead of focusing on the punishment or the consequence, you're teaching them the steps to be successful. When correction is necessary, it'll seamlessly fit in to the extension of the teaching that you've already outlined for them. For instance, consider the fact that children have a hard time keeping their hands to themselves. So it's important to teach kids, you don't hit. Young children often struggle with their really intense emotions when they don't get their way or they become upset and then they resort to hitting. As parents, our role is to respond by speaking softly, comforting, calming down the child until they can regain composure. Then we can remind them that hitting hurts people. We wouldn't want someone to do that to us. The big idea here is that we should approach parenting as a loving and patient education and provide guidance to our children, coupled with necessary correction and guidance that you apply to your children and your parenting role.
1: That is so good. I can definitely see how I would have benefited from that, not just as a child, but as a parent. I am definitely now in my older age, learning better ways of having conversations, of redirecting Mm -hmm. behavior. And I appreciate you saying this. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, what would you tell a person who is struggling to connect with his or her child?
0: In pyramid pyramid parenting, what happens at the very top is that correction piece. So you're correcting after you're consoling your child. Right below the correction piece, you're giving them the teaching tools that they need to be successful. Below that is building relationships with your children. You don't want to learn from somebody who you don't connect with, who you're not feeling supported by. Same goes for your children. They want to feel like you love them and support them regardless before you're trying to teach them anything. Before that level, though, is your relationship with your partner. So you have to build a strong foundation with your partner, develop communication styles, set goals for both yourself and your children, and then dig into the relationship with your children. Then you can start uh, parenting them in ways that make sense. The amazing thing about this is it that slow release of responsibility model that we as teachers implement in our classroom. So we start with the relationship piece with our peers. So what are our team of teachers working on? What is the building working on? What is the school, the district, our big goals? Now we have to build relationships with our personal classroom. How are we going to do that? From there, we then teach our students and then we, we correct them or we help model for them what is the correct behaviors. Eventually they can be independent people and learners and thinkers. The amazing thing about this is you're starting to see a return on your investment much more quickly. So my 12-year-old is already exhibiting so many signs of empathy and emotional building. This might be a trigger word, but self-care. She is taking care of herself and her emotional health because early on in her life, we encouraged her to do that versus correct a misbehavior first thing.
1: That is so fantastic. Lots of nuggets to unpack there. One of the things you said reminded me of a quote by James Comer, young people don't learn from people they don't like. And I know adults don't either. So I'm really glad you said that. Also self-care being a trigger word. I know a lot of people don't want to hear things they don't want to do, okay. but whether you're getting a six pack and sitting in front of Netflix or you're going out to a park, or you're going out to the movies. That is your self-care. Every Mm -hmm. single person does something that he or she feels that they need to do because they enjoy it. So they can recharge, rejuvenate and make themselves feel better. However, not everything we do is actually really self-care because Mm -hmm. it might hurt us. We will definitely get into that in a moment, but relationships y'all, Relationships are really important. If you have a spouse, if you have children, there's not just individual relationships, but there's a relationship as a unit. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening on Spotify or iTunes, please hit the subscribe button. Please hit the like button and share this podcast with your family and friends. And now for a word from one of our sponsors. Are technology issues slowing you down at your school? If that's the case, look no further than 5 Star Technologies Virtual Help Desk. Their team of experts are available to support you remotely, resolving up to 40% of common issues like password resets, device connectivity, and lots more. With just a few clicks, you'll have access to their live chat from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. Just enter your email to get started. Then you'll live chat with one of five stars Tech experts to diagnose your problem. And if their virtual help desk agent can't solve the issue completely, they will dispatch the ticket to your school's on-site tech team. Let 5 Star Technology Solutions be your support partner. Experience their virtual help desk, which is affordable, efficient, and always there for you. Please contact them at 5startech.com forward slash contact us. Once again, 5startech.com forward slash contact us. And for your convenience, you'll find this link in the episode show notes. Now let's transition into your coaching work. How did you get into coaching teachers?
0: It's, it's so funny. I started my career as a summer camp counselor. 16 years old, I was out there with the kids. There was like 75 of them and me. A lot of my teaching experience goes back to my experiences as a camp counselor. I loved working with children. I loved being creative and inventive with them. And then eventually I was able to have a leadership role in that camp and work with the other camp counselors. So I was able to teach them, "This is these are my tricks, this is what's working. And I felt like that was always something that was deep inside of me. So when I became a teacher and I had my students, it was just everything. I thought I could stay in the classroom forever. I loved working with kids. I loved seeing their light bulb moments. And then one day I was asked to share at a staff meeting, which is terrifying for a teacher. It's one thing to stand up in front of a group of children and be able to share with them. It's a totally different ball game to stand up in front of adults and talk to them. So I was of course terrified beyond belief, but I did it anyway because it's important to push ourselves. And it was amazing to just have an opportunity to work with adults and answer their questions and see their light bulb moments. And from there it kind of felt okay. I was able to impact a small group of students within my classroom, but what ripples could I create if I started working with teachers? So after that staff meeting, I sought out opportunities to present and I honed my practice. I was sharing at different conferences and volunteering on different boards just to get the experience. And then I finally became an instructional technology coach for a district. And it was incredible. I was on a team of three. We were vastly outnumbered, but we were working with teachers from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade uh, on anything from finding out what your email password was to implementing um, coaching cycles within a third grade classroom. So it was so much fun, so rewarding. And then again, those ripple effects really evolved into changing uh, the face of a district.
1: I get to interview a lot of coaches, a lot of entrepreneurs. One theme I keep hearing over and over again is having anxiety and being nervous in the beginning. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How did you overcome that?
0: Honestly, it was just repetition, getting up every day and really getting in front of an audience and sharing my insights. I was still nervous, but I was doing it nervous anyway, and eventually the nerves went away. I recently just had my first keynote speech at a conference in Nebraska, and you were there. I was was there. so (laughs) grateful. And I was very nervous before going on stage. And I told you, I was super nervous. You said, there's always going to be butterflies, just make them all fly in the same direction. And that really resonated with me because as people, we're going to find things that we're passionate about, that we're afraid of. And it's important that we still do those things that we're afraid of because the outcomes are so much more worth the anxiety and the fear. There are so many places that you will be able to go in this world if you continue to do things that are scary and you're afraid of. And in in turn, you're also inspiring and modeling for your children or your students that we all get nerves. Nobody is perfect. And if we do it anyway, look at what good comes from it.
1: I love that quote. And it's not really a quote. It's more of a philosophy. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan said, everyone gets butterflies, including me. And I learned how to make them all fly in the same direction. I love that way of thinking about it. One of the things that I try to do in my work is be very honest The reason why is because I know that I've got people watching me, and at times there are people that want to do some of the things we do. So I never want to ever act or make them feel like it's impossible to accomplish these things. I've been coaching adults for over 15 years. I've been on the road nine years, and for the past six years, I've been on the road every summer, every single week. This is the first summer where two things happened. Number one, I was in two cities every week instead of one. And number two, I wasn't nervous, no anxiety, no second guessing. I knew that I was sent. That doesn't mean that every single teacher, that every single educator appreciated what I put forward. It doesn't mean that. There were some that were voluntold and they were not ready for this message. However, That did not change how I felt about myself or about what I was doing. It took me 15 years before I accomplished that. Not everyone takes that long, but repetition is the mother of skill. Practice will not make you perfect, but it will make you better.
0: Practice makes progress.
1: Lindsay, coaching adults isn't easy. What are three pieces of advice that you would give someone who is just starting out?
0: Building strong relationships is truly the key to everything. Effective coaching begins with building strong, trusting relationships with your educators, taking the time to get to know them and their teaching style and their goals and not pushing your own agenda is essential. Practicing that active listening so that you know their concerns, their aspirations, and showing empathy and understanding really helps them feel valued and respected building that strong rapport and that foundation allows you then to build from there. I remember in my former district, the first two weeks of school, nobody really wants to work with instructional coaches. They don't have a lot to do because they're building the relationships with students. Those first two weeks, I headed to the kindergarten wing because kindergarten in August is like herding cats. I went to the teachers and I said, how can you use me? How can I help? All I did was Help those teachers build the relationships with their students, which then in turn, built trust between them and myself. And wouldn't you know it, but all of September, I was booked in kindergarten with ed tech lessons and different fun projects with their students. And now those kindergartners can take those skills with them every step of the way. Second, customize your approach. Just like you would with students, there is no one size fits all when working with teachers. Recognize that every teacher is at a different spot in their journey. And for me, it was ed tech. Some teachers were high flyers and ready to take what I had to say and hit the ground running. And others really needed time to sit with the information. So be flexible with your methods, adapt to the specific needs, and empathize with your teachers. Your agenda isn't always number one priority on their list. Teachers are stressed. They have a lot on their plate. So make sure you empathize with where they're at in their journey.
1: I completely agree. One of the things that I've been telling a lot of my client partners is when it's not instructional innovation, planning curriculum, mapping curriculum, facilitating curriculum, or ed tech integration, I really would survey the teachers first and see if they really want to do SEL and Mm -hmm. some of those other things that folks are not happy with. And when they do that, you get folks in the workshop that truly want to be there. We have to focus on the pain points of teachers. I've had teachers say to me, I signed up to be a math teacher, an English teacher. I want to get better at that. We have to hear these pain points. Thank you, Lindsay. That is really great advice. Now let's talk about your passion for mental health and setting boundaries. And like you added to promote balance in the chaos. Mm -hmm. Please explain, what does promoting balance in the chaos mean?
0: Anytime I meet someone new and they learn that I have five kids in general, I can expect the same reaction, either a look of shock, terror, or awe. Having five kids certainly isn't the norm, but it works for my family. And everybody would always ask me, how do you do it? I figured if they're all going to ask me how I'm doing it, why not share how I embrace the chaos? So promoting balance in the chaos of a large family like ours is about finding harmony and fulfillment amidst the whirlwind of the daily life. While some might be surprised or even overwhelmed at the idea of raising five kids, it's a choice that works exceptionally well for our family. Embracing the chaos means recognizing that life is not always predictable. And sometimes it's beautifully messy. It's about fostering an environment where each member is encouraged to express themselves and to grow and pursue their passions while also learning the importance of compromise and cooperation. It's about making time for both individual as well as family activities. Just last night, we all dropped everything. We went to the park. We played together. Not everybody wanted to do that, but we have to build in those moments where we do prioritize making time for that family unit and cherishing the unique personalities and talents of each child while fostering strong family bonds.
1: That is so good. I have an 18 year old and a 20 year old, and we kindly requested that they take a summer trip to the beach with us. And my son, I can look at his face. He had other things that he could be doing. Mm And I looked at him and I said, son, if your friends were here, I know you'd be having a lot more fun, but I hope you understand that being with your family, even though you're 18 now is still very important because we put in the time with them. He looked at me and said, of course, I'm bored out of my mind, but these are the things that I'll cherish later on in life. And that I would want my kids to do with me and my future spouse. Hearing that as a parent lets me know, even if they would rather be doing other things, quality family time is so important. Lindsay, how did you get on your mental health journey? Was it nature or nurture?
0: It's a little bit of both. In 2020, I was diagnosed with a degenerative autoimmune disease and it's something I now have to manage on a daily basis. It is significantly impacted by stress and anxiety the more stressed and anxious i feel the worse i feel physically everything's connected our mental health influences our physical health and fi- vice versa so it's fair to say that i started my mental health journey because it was necessary but in doing so i realized that this just wasn't a problem that i was dealing with it was a problem that educators are facing everywhere i'm using educators because that's who i know but i'm sure it's a problem that's prevalent in other areas as well i realize in education though that there is a systemic problem where educators are burning out and that's where i was in 2020 the issue of educator burn- burnout is a pressing concern that has been exacerbated by the lack of access to adequate mental health care and support educators play a vital role in shaping our future but our well-being is often neglected in the education system the demands on teachers have grown significantly especially since covid And this has taken a really big toll on all of our mental health. The teaching profession is emotionally and mentally demanding. I know when parents uh, are at the end of summer break and they're ready to send their kids back to school, it's a big sigh of relief, but that's because they're sending their children off to these amazing individuals, educators, who are mentally preparing their children, physically preparing their children, emotionally, socially they're taking care of all of the needs of their children and the parents don't have to worry about it. But Mm. educators deal with these high stress situations, demanding workloads, and they often face emotional challenges with their students and with themselves on a daily basis. Despite those demands, though, many educators have limited access to mental health resources. Schools often lack sufficient counseling services and when they are available, they may be overwhelmed and underfunded. This means that educators who are already stretched thin might not receive the mental health support they need to manage their stress, anxiety and emotional well-being. I Mm. was actually talking to an individual at a conference who had a role that was in support of education. And he was sharing how teachers need to take care of themselves. They need to find out opportunities for self-care and to make time for it. And he had done this as well. He had gone out and he had bought himself a horse And he was now learning horseback riding and that was his self-care. And I really feel like that's where the disconnect is. That is not an authentic or relatable experience for educators. We're not going to be able to go out and pursue a passion that is so expensive that the normal person couldn't do. We need an action plan that is reasonable, that is feasible for us to be able to implement in our incredibly busy daily lives and horseback riding as entertaining as it, as it can be, might not be that, but we need our leadership to see that as well.
1: I completely agree. There's a quote by Ann Rand that says you have to participate in your own rescue. Yes. I really think that educators, teachers, entrepreneurs, any type of worker, anyone has to find a way to manage their own self-care whether it's riding horses, whether it's skiing in the winter, whether it's sports, whatever it is, I think schools can help teachers primarily with their core instruction. And there's two things that as a researcher, I go for. Number one is their content knowledge. If we're getting into aspects of instructional alignment, instructional innovation, ed tech integration, their content knowledge about that thing is really important number one. But number two is your self-efficacy, is the Mm -hmm. belief and their conviction that they can implement that thing well. Absolutely. Teachers have to figure out how to manage that, their own knowledge, their own self-efficacy, learning in the classroom, but also children behavior. I think that if schools and those that are responsible for teacher PD, if they find a way to prioritize self-efficacy and content knowledge for the basics, core instruction, then adding other things like self-care, SEL, emotional regulation, and all the other L's and all the other things (laughs) I think would be a lot more manageable because there's a foundation. I'm in schools every week and I'm seeing two things, lots of career switchers, not saying that they don't have a passion or they're not good at teaching, but if they weren't in a pre-service program, how knowledgeable are they about the learning sciences and major aspects of instructional design? Mm-hmm. And two, a lot of our teachers that were in pre-service programs, a lot of them say they got a textbook and a lecture and no modeling. We have to stick to the basics and build from there.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think recognizing the interconnectedness between mental health, physical health, and academics is a crucial step in fostering a healthier and more resilient educational workforce.
1: Amen to that. (laughs) Lindsay, what would you tell a person who is struggling with their mental health or setting boundaries? What is one major advice that you would give them?
0: When facing mental health struggles or the need to set boundaries, Um, it's essential to prioritize self-care as a foundational step. This means allocating time for yourself. So 15 minutes a day of something that brings you joy. This does not mean taking on another task. Cleaning the kitchen or vacuuming or doing laundry is not self-care. Self-care is something you're passionate about, something you'd like to do, whether that's deep breathing or yoga or journaling or reading a book, 15 minutes a day is what you need to start on so that you can take better care of yourself. Another critical thing that you need to be able to practice is setting boundaries. When you say yes, professionally, you're saying no to something personally. And you have to shift your mind in order to understand that you can't just be a yes person at work and a yes person at home. Something has got to give. So boundaries are like those protective barriers around our mental and emotional space. It's crucial to communicate your limits Be aware of your limits, but also be assertive at both work and in your personal relationships. Remember, setting boundaries is not selfish. It's an act of self-respect and preservation.
1: I will definitely be spending 15 minutes on myself every day. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start telling some people no.
0: (laughs) It's okay. It's not a negative thing.
1: We are now winding down with Lindsay, and we're going to get into the quick fire question round segment of the show. Lindsay, what are your top three EdTech tools?
0: Google Slides, because you can do so many different things with it. It's super intuitive for whatever age group you're working with. Canva, because it's the Swiss Army knife of EdTech tools. You can create, you can present, you can record, you can do all the things, and it's free for educators, which we love. And then ChatGPT. We need to make our lives a little bit easier in utilizing these AI tools so that we can simplify the lesson planning work, and then replace all of that backlog with our energy and our engagement, and utilizing Chat GPT really helps do that.
1: I completely agree. Generative AI tools help me produce the podcast, help me do my social media. Help me frame so many different things in my business that I can't see how anyone else is not using this as well. Completely agree. Lindsay, what is your favorite education book?
0: Other than yours, George, which I have all on my shelf at home, I would say Teach Boldly by Jennifer Williams. It's an authentic and relevant book that also has little action plans built in that you can take right away into your classroom. It's super empowering and Jennifer Williams is just one of the most amazing humans in the world. So Teach Boldly by Jennifer Williams.
1: What's your favorite book that's not an education?
0: Atomic Habits, because it's really helped me reframe the way that I approach goal setting and building habits within my personal life and within my relationship with my husband and my children. So Atomic Habits has been such a great like self-help book, I would say.
1: Lindsay, what is your favorite education conference and why?
0: I have to say ISTE, just because it is a global conference, you get to meet the people that you're friends with just online because everybody is there, you're celebrating each other, you're collaborating in a truly authentic way, and it just gives you access and opportunity to people and tools that normally you wouldn't have access to.
1: Lindsay, what are three things people need to do every day? And they don't have to be educators.
0: Prioritizing your self-care by taking those 15 minutes of time, whether it's setting it in your calendar or having an accountability partner tell you, okay, this is your 15 minutes and doing something for yourself. Second, get outside for an hour a day. Connecting with nature is so important for our mental health. And just finding a new space to think and work really helps you to just be the best version of yourself. Lastly, I would say read or learn something new, whether it's a book or an article, watching the news, or even just watching TikTok. Learning never stops and neither should you.
1: Lindsay, what's the best piece of advice you ever received and how did that influence your life?
0: The best piece of advice I've ever received is don't accept criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. (laughs) I think as teachers, a lot of times we hear all the negativity and it could just be one negative thought from one person and we have 50 other positive pieces of feedback. Don't focus on that one negative when you have all of these other people that are truly supportive of you. If that person is really in your corner, they'll give you positive feedback or constructive feedback that you can build off of. But if it's somebody who's just in your life to be a hater, there's no reason for you to listen to them.
1: I completely agree. We have to tune out the noise and the haters are part of the noise. Lindsay, I picked three things I love and respect about you. And just to recap for the audience, you put your family first, you're a great education coach, and you're passionate about mental health. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want people watching or listening to know about you?
0: I just believe in empathy. And I think if we all approach situations with other people, other educators, other professionals, our students, our children with an empathetic heart, we can solve most problems. I actually just created a five day self care challenge and I would love for you all to test it out because I do truly believe in the power of being empathetic, taking care of ourselves so that we can take better care of others.
1: That's fantastic advice. This is the part of the show where I give you your flowers. I don't believe in waiting until someone's gone to tell them how I feel about them. Lindsay, you have been more than a friend. You have been a colleague. You have been a partner. And you've been a person that has opened doors for me and countless others. The good you do, people know that. People realize that. When I think about you, I think of a quote by Maya Angelou. She once said, people will forget what you say and do, but they will never, ever forget how you made them feel. And you, my friend, have acquired a lot of emotional deposits, not just with me, but with a lot of people. And I will say this, you open doors for people that normally wouldn't be allowed in the room. I think you know what I'm talking about. People listening know what I'm talking about. And I will never, ever forget that. Thank you so much. All right, let's put this into the universe. How can people contact you so they can book you and have you speak, not just in Illinois, not just in the south side of Chicago, but all over the freaking world?
0: You can find me on all the socials at I Coach Lindsay, or you can email me directly at lindseyzilly at gmail.com, or you can check me out at my website, lindsayzilly.org.
1: That's it for this episode. Until next time, this is the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast with George Valenzuela.